is taken from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, and it's on page 994, and it's on the overhead. The parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Forever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. What wonderful words to end a reading. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's going to come next? We don't know. Our gospel reading for today is the well-known parable of the talents or the bags of gold. And it's another one in the series of Jesus' teachings in the gospel of Matthew that focuses on the eschatological eschatological. And uh, this is because Jesus continues on from last week where he continues to speak privately with his disciples about the need to be alert. Now you will recall that the discussion was brought up by the disciples because they asked Jesus about the end of the age. And by way of reminder, the whole subject arises because Jesus is intimating his death. He knows what's coming next. The Pharisees were already plotting because they opposed the new message that Jesus was speaking. 
they considered Jesus to be dangerous because he was spouting a new message about the kingdom of God being open to all. A message of hope to the weak, to the marginalized. A message of compassion to those on the fringes and a new way to obey God's commands. So I can remind you that this conversation happens in Matthew just before chapters 26 and 27, where Jesus is betrayed and handed over for crucifixion. Jesus knew that he was about to leave and the disciples wanted to know when they would see him again. Matthew records Jesus' response. He says, no one knows except the Father only. But what we've already been told in last week's parable, which is the part of this eschatological collection, is that we are to be prepared because failure to do so would look like the foolish bridesmaids without enough oil. Ultimately, we will miss the return. We will forfeit our place in his eternal heavenly banquet as a consequence. So the parable of the bridesmaids emphasizes the need to be prepared for Christ's return. Our parable this morning continues right after that and points to what God expects of us. What does God expect of us? And it hints at the blessing our active waiting or our responsibly prepared people can become for ourselves and mysteriously also how that blessing can bless God as well. The parable of the talents is often used in churches to discuss how generosity and stewardship in the world leads to rewards in the next. In other churches, it's used to talk about our Western Christian understanding of talents as gifts and personal gifts or skills that we do not use wisely in the context of volunteering for the church. But more accurately, this is a story about how recognizing Jesus as the Messiah means that we can have confidence to take a risk. Confidence to offer up everything that we have been entrusted with, no matter the size or the amount, for the glory of God. So the parable indicates a master who knows the three servants well enough to entrust them with substantial amounts of money. And we don't often recognize that this entails a lot of trust because a talent or the amount of a bag of gold could have been as much as 20 years of wages for a laborer. So it means that for me, if I want to give that amount of gold to someone, I would need to know that that person was good enough and that I trusted them to take care of my wealth. So if this were the case, it's possibly safe to assume that the master knew his slaves well. He knew their character also because we're told that when he gave each, he gave it according to their abilities in verse 15. So these weren't nobodies to the master. He knew them. The first two servants invested their money and traded to double their talents they received. And although they received different amounts when they returned, they were given the same affirmation by their Lord, which is in Matthew 25, 21, 23, well done, good and faithful servant. The master is not overly worried about the amount of the return or the yield on his investment. He is instead delighted that his servants were good and faithful. 
In other words, it was never mentioned in the parable that there was any expectation that the servants would return with any, anything additional. He gives the men substantial money and heads off on a journey. The faithfulness of the first two servants is revealed in how they take it upon themselves to risk investing the money to multiply what the master had given them. The master's brief interaction with the first two servants stands in contrast with the third, who we are told, out of fear, took his master's money and buried it in the ground for safekeeping. Now, such a way of doing things was not uncommon in biblical times. It was customary for people to bury their wealth so that it would be kept safe from thieves. Indeed, some people would have thought that that was a very prudent thing to do. In modern terms, the same thing occurs for people who keep their money under mattresses. That's why Daniela married me. It means that should banks topple or if they were robbed, your money is safe enough. It might not have earned anything additional, but it's safe enough. And it means that you're not going to be exposed to any risk. To me, this man is being cautious. He has been careful with what he has been given. And I sort of feel like I did last week with the bridesmaids, that they didn't really do anything intentionally wrong, and yet the consequences were very heavy for them. Here the servant does what is sort of normal for many, he would have been called wise by those around him. He didn't risk losing the money entrusted to him, so he kept it safe. He lost nothing, and he gave back to his master exactly that which was entrusted to him. Yet things, as we see, are going to go badly wrong for him. So we see here that the remarks made by the servant are weird in the context of what had happened before. The previous two servants were happy to give to their master. But this man said, you are a difficult man. He said, you are reaping what you haven't sown. You are gathering what you haven't scattered. The third servant seems to be fearful of his master, who is assumed to be a difficult man. And you'll see in the verses that follow, the master doesn't rebuke the servant for saying such things, he kind of affirms that what you've said is true. We never receive confirmation about the accuracy of the portrayal of the master, but what we can read from the parable is that this assessment appears to be inconsistent with the master's earlier benevolent actions in the parable. In that instance, the master demonstrated incredible generosity to the two servants, not only by entrusting all with the substantial amounts in his absence, but also inviting them to share in his joy for their faithfulness. He calls them excellent and trustworthy, so it may be that the third servant misunderstood the true identity of his master. He received the talent, but he did nothing with it. He did not take a risk. The first two servants show themselves to be faithful. They commit themselves to the adventure of stewarding the gifts given to them, and they allow the gifts to transform their life's focus for the season that the master is gone. So by committing to working with the gifts entrusted to them and taking that risk, they see their experience expand, they add to their treasure total, they double the number of talents that they can offer back, and good and faithful servants 
gain in life and heaven because they are willing to grow into the person that God meant them to be in their homes, in their workplaces, their communities, the world, and as part of the kingdom of God. So the third servant merely preserves the treasure given to him and preservation, as it turns out, can block spiritual growth. So to me, the parable is not about the master's character, whether we need to be fearful or not. The servant was fearful. However, this was unjustified because the master was generous. He was welcoming. He was affirming. He was trusting. He was joyful. But we do not really hear too much about the master otherwise. The parable is not about the dangers of being lazy and about burying our talents in the ground, although we see that we are called to be God's stewards over all his creation and what we have done with it or what we are doing with it. And there are many examples of humans creating beauty and justice and creativity in the world. And such work should be done to enhance what we are given for God's glory. This is a good thing. But for me, the parable is about how we respond to the abundant gift of grace that we have been afforded. God took a risk with us. He invested in you, he invested in me. God took a risk and now he wants us to replicate that example. So you may ask, well what risk could God have possibly taken for me? Well, our God took a risk in that he chose to speak into nothing and formed mountains and oceans and mammals and birds and forests and all living things for our benefit. And when the earth was void, the Lord God formed living beings from the dust in the ground and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And we were formed our God took a risk in sending his only son to come and to live among us. Jesus lived like us. He saw us for who we really are. He experienced what it means to be human. He suffered. He laughed. He learned. He loved. He risked death on a cross to rescue us from ourselves. He risked everything to invest in his creation. And then he provided us with the Holy Spirit so that we could truly know our master in a meaningful and purposeful way. The gift that we are given is now ours to do with what we choose. In his commentary, The Way, opened up by Jesus, Jose Becola, a Catholic theologian, provides a very good understanding of how contemporary society might replicate the third servant's actions. He does this by putting the words of the servant into our mouths, and in this case he says, the response would be something like this. Here is your gospel or, or talent. Your project of the reign of God here is your message of love for those who suffer. We have kept it faithfully. We have not used it to transform our lives. We have not used it to introduce your kingdom into the world. We didn't want to take chances. But here it is, undamaged. 
when we choose not to grow in the way God wants us to. We lie to ourselves. Just knowing God's plans and keeping a record of his words is not enough. We need to live by them. And if we don't let God's message change our lives and show love to those who need it, well then we're not really honoring it. And if we're too scared to explore life in God's kingdom, it shows we don't really understand the goodness that the master promises to us. The goodness to take care of us and to bless us. This parable finishes with a stark warning about weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the reality is that when we do not recognize the gift that God gives us and invest in it, we are keeping our light under a bowl and this has severe consequences for others. Forget ourselves, it has consequences for others. In this situation, the gospel, if we keep it to ourselves, remains unchanged, and we are the ones who are broken because we fail to invest in the gospel of grace. The next parable in this section which is um, in verses 31 to 46, we see what investing in the gospel looks like. It's around the goats and the sheep. It calls us to emulate Jesus in our lives. The breath of God, the spirit of the Trinity lives within us. And when we give our lives to Christ, we are provided with a marvelous investment from God. The gospel message is this. For those of us who have started the home group study in Galatians last week, we may have heard how strongly Paul criticized anyone who attempted to weaken the message or dilute it in any way. Why? Because we're all in need of rescue and through Christ's death and resurrection, it is finished. Or as Liz had said in our group, it is complete. So what is it that we do with this gift of grace that we have been given? Matthew's parable in verses 31 to 46 says this, strive to be like Christ. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and visit those who are alone. Such an investment, we are told, will lead to righteousness and eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you with hearts full of gratitude for the truths unveiled in your word. We stand in humility for the risks you took in creating our world, for investing not only in the vastness of this cosmos, but most remarkably, because you invested in each one of us. You entrusted us with the precious gifts of life that we acknowledge. Heavenly Father, at times we may have faltered, perhaps burying your talents, but you bestowed upon us grace. And we are reminded that your love persists, that it calls us to rise above our doubts to rise above our limitations. So we ask that you empower us, Lord, to step boldly into the opportunities you provide, to grant us courage to embrace the challenges that come with stewardship, 
and that in moments of uncertainty, we ask that you strengthen our faith. In moments of fear, instill in us a spirit of courage. And in moments of complacency, ignite a passion for your purpose. For your purpose. In Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.